we're continuing our focus this afternoon on the here and now. And the title of the sermon is Preparation and Promise. We read in Isaiah 55:11 that when God sends his word out, it never returns void. Amen. So take a moment to the person to your left or right and remind them that they are significant in God's order, that God has a plan and a purpose for that person. The secret to a fulfilled life is to find our purpose and to walk in it. That's an easy statement to say, but it's a very different one to discover because our destinies, not only the discovery of our purpose, but also the preparation that will then lead to the promise. Have you ever heard the phrase, if you fail to prepare, then prepare to fail? So preparation, dictionary definition, a proceeding measure or provision by which one prepares for something. Let's look at Genesis 12, verses 4 and 5. Genesis 12, verses 4 and 5. Abraham, in a small but potentially significant season of preparation. So Abraham left as the Lord told him to do so, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. Abraham took his wife, Sarah, and his brother's son, Lot, and all the things that they had gathered, and the people joined them in Haran. And they left to go to the land of Canaan. And so they came to Canaan. You know, the Lord is preparing you in the here and now for the promises that are going to be born in your life. I think that God often places things in us like time capsules to be released over time. So take something like patience. Lord, give me patience now. Doesn't always work, right? And sometimes what happens is it takes time for us to craft and understand the magnitude of what God is doing in our lives. But let's look at, look, look, let's look at the story that Abraham has here. God wanted to bless Abraham beyond measure, but this required Abraham to commit everything into God's hands in order for him to receive this blessing. So my first question for you this afternoon is, are you prepared to give it all up? Are you prepared to go through every stage of preparation necessary in order to get the blessing? He knew that he had to let God take control of his life and believe that he would provide for all of his needs. This is a preparation, I would say, for all of us today for a healthy relationship with the Lord, but also in our understanding of how we can grow in preparation to embrace promises. Abraham also decided to get out of his comfort zone. I think that's a word for a few of us here this afternoon. And he had to trust that God would honor his word. He chose to obey his voice. He even took all of his possessions with him. Therefore, there's no excuse to return total faith and total trust in God. When did you last do something like that? When did you last put it all on the line? When did you last give it God absolutely everything and put all your trust and all your faith in Him? For me, it was uh, ten and a half years ago. I was on the staff here, some of you may remember. I was on the staff here, and I clearly heard from the Lord, it's time for a trip to go to America, amen? So I decided to pack up all my belongings, you know, you go to the sure guard and like there's all your stuff in boxes, 
I emptied my bank accounts, I had to resign from here, being on the staff here, and I went to America. I came back to this country nine months later and about 17 kilos heavier with, no, genuinely 17 kilos heavier. <laughs> there are photos on Facebook. Um, with no job, nowhere to live, and no money. And yet I knew that God would provide. So when was the last time that you really stepped out in a moment, in a season, where you had no control over any element of the outcome? That's preparation. Abraham also realized that there was nothing better than receiving God's blessing. Very important for us. And I believe today that God is calling each of us in our preparation into new and uncharted territory. He's calling you to trust him further. He's calling you to trust him deeper. He's tr calling you to trust him longer and take him at his word unconditionally. The question is, do we want to do it? Because you know, if you want to move forward in the physical sense, you've got to put one foot in front of the other. You cannot have one foot where you are and one foot where God wants you to be. It's all or nothing. Take that step, be ready to be blessed beyond measure. Now I can hear some grumbling. No, not, not in the physical, in your, in your minds, I can hear some grumbling. Well, you know what, Scott, actually I've taken that step. Maybe you've taken that step and you've grown tired of your surroundings. Remember, God did not call you out of the place where you were to make you comfortable. He called you out of that place to give you a more authentic and a greater purpose to fulfill in your life. Facing hardships and enduring trials does not mean that you are not where you ought to be. Amen. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? Right. That's a word for I literally have on my notes, that's a word for someone. So someone over here confirmed it. Do not allow negative thoughts or feelings or of uncertainty keep you from remembering your first love. There is no joy outside of his will. And if you're going through a trial, you're going through a challenge, James 1 is very clear. But look at the life of Jonah, look at the life of Joseph, look at the life of David. They all went through trials, they all went through significant season of preparation to enter into the promise that they have, that they then receive. God assures of his blessing, but he doesn't promise that carrying out his will is going to be easy. Do not allow your current situation let you lose sight of your purpose. Give your burdens to God, act in faith, and go where God leads you. He will provide, but it's up to us to obey, just as Abraham did. Because, because we are in training for reigning. Get this, Abraham believed that the blessing of God would make up for all that he could lose or leave behind, supply all his wants and exceed all his desires, and he knew that nothing but misery would follow disobedience. If you've ever met someone who's, shall we say, a little bit miserable, not suggesting that there's anyone in the room, but if you've ever met anyone that's miserable, there's usually one variable. At least one part of their life is not fully surrendered to God. At least one part of their life, they are walking in disobedience to God on something. Because faithful obedience is the basis of God's promise. And as we lean in to God's faithfulness, we discover how to walk with God by his promises. Such believers being justified by faith in Christ therefore have peace. Is your heart troubled today? Is your heart challenged by the circumstance, challenged by the season that you find yourself in? If you've been justified by faith in Christ, you have peace. You have the peace of God. Hold on to your ways. A small element to think about as well. Dare to dream. Dare to dream. 
in the midst of your challenges, in the midst of your preparation, in every season that you find yourself in, allow yourself to dream. Dream the dreams of God. Any dream that you have right now in your life, I also have some news for you. It might be amazing, I'm sure it is, but it's not your dream. It's not your dream. It's God's dreams that he has placed inside of you for you to understand, for you to come into the fullness of. Do not allow people to discourage you from dreaming. Think about Joseph. Right after he began to dream, what happened? Troubles began. No dreams just happen, but over and over again in Genesis, you read a phrase, the Lord was with him. Your dreams are not your dreams. They are his dreams that he's placed inside you. So three things with a four-point sermon. God's preparation will always begin with leaving the familiar. Always. If you want to prepare for a new season, if you want to prepare for the promise of God over your life, you have to break out of the mold of familiarity in your life. The, the familiar has to now become unfamiliar. God's preparation will always recognize that God is with you. And number three, God's preparation will always come from his word that he speaks to you. Preparation is designed for us to trust God in everything. Do we want the favor of God this afternoon? The measure with which you have the favor of God is the measure with which you trust him for that favor. Then you will have to put aside your own agenda, not easy, and begin to allow him to speak into every part of your life. Because when you have the favor of God, you have access to the presence of the king. God's promises over your lives never change. The key is to be properly prepared and positioned to embrace those promises. So let's explore four principles that will help us on this journey. Number one, we have to know God's promises. Does anybody know how many promises there are in the scripture? Throw some numbers out, have a guess. Over 2,000, any advance on 2,000? No, not as many as that. I'm reliably informed that there are 3,593 promises, which is nearly 10 a day, if my maths is right. Somebody confirmed that. So, in God's promises, do not allow familiarity to rob or distort the promises or the potential or the power. Read God's word daily, but read it as if you read it the first time. You know, the danger with knowing the word well is that it becomes very familiar. So John 3.16, when you first read it, blew your mind. Bible in a nutshell, as R.T. Kendall describes it. It is as powerful today if you can read it in 50 different translations of Scripture as when you first read it. The problem is that we can read it and understand it in 50 different translations, so it's become a little dull to us. And yet it still has the same power, still has the same significance. The Word of God should be the soundtrack to your life in every single area. You cannot trust the promises until you know them and make them the foundation of your life. God never promises to explain himself, but he does promise to reveal himself. So I would encourage you, 3,593, find seven. Find seven promises in Scripture and assign one for each day of the week. And in the morning, in your devotional, read that promise over your life. 
and at some time during your busy day, doing the million and one things that you're doing, take some time when you're preparing your coffee at lunchtime, read that promise over your life. And in the evening, do the same thing. Because often we can know the author, but not the word, or we know the word, but not the author. Because biblical knowledge without biblical experiences is just head knowledge for us. It's like reading a newspaper, it serves no value. The inimitable Corrie Ten Boom said, let God's promises shine on your problems. It's another word for someone. Number two, you have to learn to pray God's promises. It's no use just knowing them. You then have to pray them. In Matthew 6, 9 through 13, we get a model of prayer from Jesus, the Lord's Prayer. Now, R.T. Kendall tells me that he recites this every single day. But that prayer starts with praise, acknowledging God for who he is, where he is, and also what he can do. Because you know we have to pray for his will to be done. It is absolutely no use for us as Christians to be praying for our will to be done. We have to want to want what God wants us to have. So if I said, I'll buy someone here a car. Any witnesses? And I get you a, a Volvo 960 that's 32 years old, got 140,000 miles on the clock, no petrol, and it needs servicing. Who wants it? Not so many witnesses now, right? Not quite so many witnesses. Because you're all thinking you want a Mercedes, Range Rover, Porsche, etc. My point is this, we have to want to want what God wants us to have. We cannot sit there picking and choosing, well, I'll have this from you, Lord, but not that. It doesn't work. It's like taking scripture and just going, well, you know, Isaiah 58. No, I don't really like that. Let's rip that out. But Isaiah 65 is awesome, so we'll keep that in. We have to want to want what God wants us to have. God's promise, God promises that his will will come to pass, but we have to be open to it. Prayer prepares our hearts to carry out his will. Then we acknowledge and understand it, which means that we cannot have flimsy, pathetic prayers. We have to storm the throne room of God. I mean, I have seen it. Uh, then one, Well, maybe one is in the room now. My goodness, when the football team's leading, losing, they are on their knees. There's prayer and intercession. There's a fast. There's like a whole group chat thread going on. But what about the lost? Oh, Father, bless my Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, like out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So we, we've got to get serious with the priorities of God in our lives. We have to get serious with the priorities of God. It doesn't work if we have flimsy prayers where we just fill a gap and we think we've ticked a box and done what we need to. Because when you pray God's promises over your life according to the word, you activate and set in motion your miracle, period. Number three, we have to trust God's promises. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, verses I'm sure we all know well. Familiarity, right? Trust in the Lord with some of your heart and lean not. Oh, just checking, just checking, you're listening. Trust in the Lord with what? Oh, there we are. And lean not on your own understanding. So it's not sufficient just to trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's insufficient. If that was sufficient, then there would be a full stop. The danger is the next section, and lean not on your own understanding. And then what? In all your ways? Some of your ways, what you do on Sundays, all your ways. 
Submit to him and he will make your path straight. So what does that kind of trust look like? Let's be clear, trust is a heart decision. It is not a feeling. A willful surrender of all of your heart. Now, I'm not married, but I'm pretty sure if any women in here are married, that if your husband said to you, sweetheart, I love you with some of my heart, that'd be really awkward, right? Any women want a man like that? No. No. Right. There we go. Very good. Pretty sure no man will ever get away with that. Guess what? The wives want it all and so does God. Period. The greatest threat... Should just be a little mic drop and I should just leave now, right? <laughs> the greatest threat to trusting God is one thing, your own understanding. Because how you see things or how you've experienced life before will shape, determine, and dictate how you then choose to trust. I've mentioned to you guys before about experiences, exposure, and environment fuel and shape that. Once our minds start to process and determine our steps, we get distracted, we take exits, we wander down detours, and we allow ourselves to not be in God's will for our life. Trust is a step-by-step process of submission following the straightest path, path to the destination that God has determined for us. If you're driving home, you're not going to take the longest detour, and if you're in a car with your wife, it might be that, I'm sorry, um, in order to get <laughs> in order to get home, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> we will always take the shortest route to get home, always the least amount of travel time, and yet we find ourselves exhausted, and we scrape and scrap the straightest paths to satisfy our disorientated mind, where we will go around the M25 all day, when God only calls you to go down a very short route to get yourself home. Instead, trust on God's promises to take you where you need to go. Psalm 25, 20 and 21. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. And the fourth one and the final one, is we need to learn to rest in God's promises. There should be a picture coming up and know that it's not me. I tried to find a cute picture about learning to rest in God's promises. Do you know the opposite of learning to rest in God's promises is worry. Worry. We all find ourselves worrying from time to time over situations. I'm currently writing my dissertation on why Christians shouldn't worry. Christians that do worry suffer from temporary atheism. As Christians, if we know where we're spending eternity, why are we worried about next week? That's like saying I can run 100 meters in 10 seconds and then you ask me to do it in 15 seconds and I apparently can't do it. It doesn't make sense. If we can trust God for where we're gonna spend eternity, we can trust him for tomorrow. Jesus makes it very clear in Matthew 6 not to worry about food, drink, our bodies, clothes, shelter, anything in life. He said that since God has taken care of the flowers in the field, why would he not take care of his people? Worry does not add a single hour to your life. In fact, it subtracts hours from our lives. We must apply the truths of those promises to our hearts. We must keep at bay the notion or the idea of wanting to process our needs 
in our minds over and over again to find out our own solutions. God's promises were meant to allow us to enjoy the best possible life that we can have. In heaven, we will experience the fullness of this rest, free of worry, free of fear. There is absolutely nothing gained from when you worry. And yet it's something that plagues us in our Christian walk. When was the last time you were a bit like this? Please don't sleep in my sermons, by the way, right? <laughs> That's not allowed. But when were you last like this? When, were you, when did you last put your head on the pillow at night when you were going through a challenge and you just rested? I don't know, maybe even you prayed a simple prayer like, God, I know you've got this, and go to bed. Because I would argue anything south of that, and there's an element of worry. And here's something else. I help you with worry. Worry has to do with control. So in situations that you find yourself in in your life, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's finances, maybe it's your work situation, maybe it's a family member, however much worry you have is a mirror reflection of how much control you want over that situation. We have to give up and surrender that control if we want the promises of God in our lives. It doesn't work if we are moving the pieces around the chessboard, so to speak, to get checkmate. It has to be God doing the work. We partner with him. He doesn't partner with us. Read this promise, Psalm 37, part A. Psalm 37, 7A, beg your pardon. Rest in the Lord. Well, there's something new for some of us today. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Or Psalm 4, verse 8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, not in my sermons. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So let's recap. You will go through challenges in your preparation. The season that you find yourself in right now is exactly the season that God wants you in right now. God does not make mistakes. The workplace that you're in, you're in because he wants you to be there right now. Amen? There's some more witnesses over here, right? The, the money that is or isn't in your bank account is exactly the money that God wants to have in your bank account right now. So if you've got lots of it, remember and tithe. If you don't, tithe anyway. Trust God for the increase. Amen? You will suffer opposition and conflict in embracing the promises of God over your life. Two areas, flesh and the enemy. Flesh is the doubt and the unbelief that I've just mentioned. The enemy is opposition. Realize that God has set a time for accomplishing his will and fulfilling his word and his promises over every single part of your life. Nothing is left to chance with God. Everything, in Genesis 2, 21, 2, everything is definitely fixed beforehand by God. All his promises are yes and amen. 2 Corinthians 1, 20. So in conclusion... Learn to walk with God by promise. This will require obedience, faithful obedience, to what God has commanded on the basis of those promises. Recognize that God will do for us what we fail to do for ourselves as we learn to depend on God's faithfulness and ultimately learn to distrust our own faithfulness and our own thinking and our own understanding. Number three, recognize that your life is a testament of God's grace, pure and simple. It is not about you and your own faithfulness as an example to others on how you live. It's about what God has done in your life. 
God is preparing you right now, and we are in a significant season, friends. We are about to enter a new decade, the 2020s. All the preparation of this calendar year and probably years before, all the sowing that you've done, all the tears that you've shed, everything that has got you to this day, at this point, at this time, is preparation for the promise and promises that you are going to enter into, either before the end of this year, if God has declared it and confirmed it with you, or into the 2020s. Recognize Philippians 2.13 as I, as I close. For God is working in you. What a wonderful promise. God is working in you. But he's doing something great. He's giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Is there any greater blessing for us than to do what pleases him? Amen.